Welcome all to the coronavirus case against we're going to talk today about a aspect of the case that's actually had some new I wouldn't say facts or details but there have been the suspect the killers have thrown out some one killer in particular Jason Baldwin has thrown out some new variations on his story since I wrote the book uh, Jason, like his blood brother Damien Eccles, rarely ever says anything that's actually true. Uh, most of it is misstatements, disinformation, just plain stupid ass stuff. A lot of his talk about work, he talks about working in the slave fields of Arkansas. That's not something he came up with, man, but he throws that around as if it's it's an original idea or a particularly smart idea, which it's not. The art, the prison system is not a slave system. The people who are in prison have, in the vast majority of cases, have through their own actions have put themselves there say a majority it's it's a tiny percentage are there are there uh for no particularly good reason except they just happen to be in the wrong place at the wrong time um the percentage of that very very small even in a lot of these wrongful conviction cases one reason the person became a suspect to begin with is because he had been involved in other cases you know they've been involved in other rapes and so they they pin this particular rape on him and they do a dna because it fits his pattern and then you know 12 years later or whatever they find out oh well according to the da you didn't commit this particular rape therefore you were wrongfully convicted which is a reasonable standard but it doesn't mean that he's some sort of good guy that deserves our sympathy. Anyway, uh, got off on a tangent there. The title in my from my book, uh, Where the Monsters Go, is I remember he had a big knife that I thought of as a Rambo knife. So we're talking about the lake knife this time. And I'll, I'll go into what I had written and then I'll... I'll go back over some of the things that have happened more recently with Baldwin's story in particular. Um, on November 7th, let me say briefly, podcast looks at the, the this particular these particular episodes, and I'm going to be hopefully wrapping them up sometime in the next, probably during the coronavirus shutdown, I'll probably be wrapping it up since um, I don't really have a good excuse for not doing more podcasts since I'm stuck at home uh, and uh, don't have some of the things I had going on going on at the present moment as is true for most of y'all um, what I was going to say is that this 
this case is the West Memphis Three case, uh, made notorious by the Paradise Lost films on HBO. Uh, what happened here is three little boys, eight years, all eight years old, uh, Michael Moore, Stevie Branch, and Christopher Byers went out, were out playing one day, and they turned up missing, and they were found next day in these woods in West Memphis, Arkansas. This was May 5th. Uh, they were found missing. They went missing on May 5th, 1993. They were found the next day on May 6th, and they were... Uh, they were bound, they were nude. Christopher was sexually mutilated with a knife. Stevie had horrible cuts to his face from a knife. There were other numerous little knife wounds on these the two of the bodies. Uh, Michael Moore, who had been protected, weirdly had been protected from the knifing by Jesse Miskelly Jr. According to his own, according to his own confessions, his own confessions and the state of the body, body, uh, the the state of the body corroborates his 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 confession that you know he he beat beat Michael up, but he didn't uh, allow Jason Baldwin to move in and, and mutilate the mutilate the boy alive or dead. While Jason was happily doing this, uh, while the, boy, the boys were still alive, uh, so this revolves around the Lake Knife, which is a large Rambo-type knife. Uh, I think I, I think I get into this chapter about some of their his, the Eccles and Baldwin both had a history of having such knives. Uh, Jason Baldwin says the late knife is his knife, so there's not any dispute about that. Uh, there is a dispute about whether the wounds to the boys were caused by uh, highly trained killer snapping turtles. Uh, are uh, by knife. Uh, Christopher Byers, in particular, uh, was bled to death before he was placed in the water. It would be, it seems to me, very unlikely that highly trained killer snapping turtles uh, performed, you know, mutilated, sexually mutilated him such a way that he bled to death before he put, or put he was placed in the water. That doesn't seem to be the style of a highly trained killer snapping turtle. It does seem to be the style of a Jason Baldwin when you hand him a knife and tell him to go at it after he's had a few beers. <laughs> so anyway, that was a may, they, the, the three men that were arrested, Jason Baldwin, Jesse Miskelly Jr., Damien Eccles, were arrested on June 3, 1993, after Jesse Miskelly Jr. made a confession. Uh, Damien had already been a, a suspect very early in the case because he'd been cited near the scene. He'd given, failed a polygraph, gave some really, really bad answers to the, the questions. Uh, a good, uh, really great answers if you're trying to find who the murderer murderer is uh, uh, 
but really bad questions, answers from his standpoint that he didn't seem to think so to the FBI questionnaire. Uh, and so about six months later, November 17th, 1993, investigators sent a dive team to search the light bottom behind the Baldwin home. Now they'd had some sort of tip that there might be a knife back there. So that's why they were doing this. After about an hour, a diver turned up a survival knife with a nine inch blade. A reporter from the West Memphis Evening Times photographed the search. The cap was off the black handle, showing a hollow compartment at the top. Police determined that the knife had been thrown from the pier behind the Baldwin trailer and had been thrown at least 100 feet. Now, I, there are other, there's other disputes about the distance. There are disputes about the distance. There's other testimony or, or there's other evidence that what that the knife wasn't thrown that far. It was more like 35 or 40 yards. Uh, I'll get into a little bit and I don't, I, I mean, I had a source for this information and I've seen it several times, but I, I, out the top of my head, I'm not really sure exactly, exactly what the source was for that particular bit of information about the 100 feet. But it's it's kind of relevant to the story that Baldwin now tells, and I'll get to that at the end of uh, the podcast. Now, the serrated edge of the knife was compatible with some of the wounds in the boys. John Fogelman, who was the assistant prosecutor, famously used a grapefruit in his closing statement to demonstrate how the knife would have left its marks on the boys, on the flesh. Uh, Angela Gail Grinnell, who was Jason's mother, was the source for a number of contradictory explanations for the lake knife. On Facebook posting, she claimed Jason angrily threw the knife into the lake a year prior to the murders. And she also speculated the knife had been planted by a Marion policeman who frequented the home of a female crack addict in Lakeshore. Now, those two stories are absolutely incompatible. But Jason's mother has told both stories. And uh, I asked her about this, and she was very angry that I would dare ask her about reconciling these two these two different versions she was actually just angry she was angry i was asking her in a non-fawning way just straightforward asking about the circumstances of the crime uh dennis reardon a california attorney representing eccles defense said in west memphis Quote, Fogelman had been told how it got in the lake. It had been thrown in the lake by Jason's mother. This is another version. Thrown into the lake a year before the crimes. He knew that the knife in the lake had nothing to do with the crime because he had been told when it was thrown in the lake. Right, he's supposed to take the word of the, the murder suspect or the murder suspect's murder mother or some friend of the suspect about when the knife actually was thrown into the lake. 
because you know they wouldn't lie about that even though they tell numerous it's getting to be numerous at this point contradictory versions of how the how the knife ended up in the lake as we can see we've already got three versions so far jason throwing it in because he's angry a marion policeman putting it in the lake and jason's mother throwing it into the lake uh, now dennis carter who was a friend of jesse miskelly jr and uh, also an acquaintance of jason baldwin now let's be let's be clear that a lot of these teens ran together somewhat loosely but you know we've got people saying that Miss Kelly, I mean, Baldwin's made statements that he just barely knew Miss Kelly. Made statements on podcast interviews just recently that he just barely knew Miss Kelly, but in fact, he knew Miss Kelly pretty darn well. I'm not so, and no, uh, I'm not saying, and I don't think anybody's saying that they hang out, hung out together all the time. But uh, some some of their acquaintances describe uh, Baldwin and Miss Kelly as being special especially good friends. Dennis Carter is close enough to Baldwin and to Miss Kelly to offer what I'm about to talk about now. Dennis Carter claimed Matthew Baldwin, which was Jason's younger brother, received, quote, some kind of survival knife, quote, that had a little old compass on it from the Baldwin's father, Larry. Now, there's a little family drama involved in that. There's, if there's a knife from the Baldwin's father, Larry, Larry had, Baldwin had not had a lot to do with the boys for a number of years. And then sometime, apparently sometime around Christmas time of 1992, he showed up. Um, and they spent, spent some time with, the, with his two sons, Matthew and uh, Jason. And the boys enjoyed this time with their father. Uh, they were living with, uh, you know, an, a, an alcoholic, according to Jason himself, you know, an abusive alcoholic stepfather who regularly uh, physically abused and verbally, verbally and physically abused uh, everyone in the family and uh, not a great home situation and a mother who was highly nervous at that point you could say highly anxious and as a result of the thought that her boys might go to live with uh, her, the father she at least that seems to have been the precipitating event she had a series of, series of nervous breakdowns in February in March and so forth in 1993, just a few months before Jason was involved in this killing. Uh, suicide attempt was involved at one point and Jason apparently called the emergency services to revive his mother. So the fact that a knife would be coming from the Baldwin's father is an element that shows perhaps maybe some of the reaction that if she did throw the knife into the lake, and I don't know that she did. Uh, I don't know who did exactly. 
because they, they keep telling different stories. But if she threw the knife in the lake and she was angry, some of that anger may have been directed at the source of the knife. But anyway, Dennis Carter claimed Matthew Baldwin had received some kind of survival knife from the Baldwin's father. Quote, Gail said it had been around the house and she had broken the blade or her husband had broken the blade or somebody broke the blade on it. Which raises another question about why, how the blade got broken. The lake knife's blade was not broken. Gail also claimed her boys did not have knives. And so another, okay, maybe... Okay, Dennis Carter's talking about Matthew, Matthew Baldwin getting a, a survival knife that sounds something like this Rambo knife that was found in the lake. We don't know that that's... We do not know if that is the knife that he's referring to is the one that was thrown in the lake. Uh, in a 2006 statement, Joseph Samuel Dwyer, a young neighbor of the Baldwins in 1993, said, I've been asked if I remember <coughs> Jason having a knife. I remember he had a big knife that I thought of as a Rambo knife. It was about a foot long. I arrived at Jason's trailer just after Jason's mom had thrown a knife into the lake. At the time, Jason's mom was walking toward the trailer from the direction of the lake. Jason was at the trailer and was mad that she had just thrown his knife into the lake. I remember that Jason said something about going to get the knife. The knife was thrown into the lake before the three boys turned up missing. I do not recall exactly how long it was before. I never saw him with that knife after I heard it was tossed, after I hear it was tossed into the lake. Dwyer, who said that no investigators ever spoke to him, explained he never told investigators about his knowledge of the lake knife though he was on the scene when it was retrieved because he was scared to talk. Dwyer said boys in the neighborhood, including Baldwin, regularly carried knives. Quote, like I said, at the time, everyone kind of out there, you know, carried knives, kind of a collection thing. Uh, so I believe he had more than one, but I can't say for sure. The day after the lake knife was discovered, Jason Crosby is another teenage acquaintance told police that Baldwin and Eccles had spent the night several times at his home and that a knife from his collection similar to the one recovered had gone missing. When Crosby asked Baldwin about the knife, Baldwin told him that he and a relative in Mississippi traded the knife and a trench coat for a bicycle. Crosby, who displayed a keen and discerning amateur collector's interest in knives, described the stolen knife as about 14 inches long. It had a black handle, a screw cap, and a small storage department with a hump or curve in the blade. The brand name Fury was engraved on the blade next to the handle. This more or less, you take away the screw cap top, which was unscrewed and lost, and you that's a pretty good description of the lake knife. Uh, it's also interesting, Jason was trading a knife and a trench coat for a bicycle. Not so much that he was getting a bicycle, but he and Baldwin were known to wear 
trench. I mean, he and Eccles were known to wear trench coats. Eccles was known to wear a tr black trench coat in the summertime, in the August, the August, September, July heat, which is quite a challenge. It's it's I've I've spent plenty of time in the heat of the Arkansas Delta, and it's not a pleasant experience, even if you're dressed appropriately for it. But, you know, Eccles had his own agenda there. Uh, there were a total of 20 knives entered into evidence in the case, with two from Eccles' home, one from the Tier residence. Now, there was no conclusive evidence that the lake knife was used in the killings. Deanna Holcomb said Damien regularly carried a knife in his black trench coat and described him possessing a survival. Deanna Holcomb was uh, Damien Eccles' former girlfriend before he started going out with uh, Dominique Tear, who was pregnant, 16-year-old who was pregnant at the time of the killings. Uh, Damien routine, she said, Deanna said, Damien routinely carried a knife in his black trench coat and described him possessing a survival-type knife substantially similar to the lake knife down to the screw-top compass that was in the retrieved knife. Now, in several, that's the end of the chapter as it's written, several podcasts since that was writ written and published, Baldwin has described a new version of what happened with the knife, which is that sometime in the summer before the killings, which would have been the summer of 1992, he says, he and his mother and his young, younger brother, Terry, half-brother, Terry, uh, and maybe, maybe Matt and maybe some other kids, but at least those three people were down on the pier behind their house. There's a, there's a lake behind the Baldwin home in Lakeshore Estates, which is certainly not, it sounds much, much nicer than it is. It's basically just a bunch of funky at this point really worn out trailers um, in a large trailer park. They essentially are, are function somewhat like freestanding homes. A lot of them are rented out. Some people live there. Some of the places are kept up pretty nicely. At least they were the last time I went through there, and I went through there fairly regularly in between 2010, 2014, when I was working at the West Memphis Evening Times. Uh, and some of the places are in dreadful shape. And there's a large pot, really sort of a holding pond that they call a lake, but it's 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 not a natural lake. It's more of a lake where they've they use that to collect uh, drainage water. Uh, the times I was out there, I mean, I got calls about it when I was working at the paper about it being smelling bad and being really funky and being green and dead fish in it. And sure enough, I'd go out there and that's what would be there. Other times it was in better shape, but it was not a really you know nice, beautiful lake. Uh, no, there's nothing particularly nice or beautiful in Lakeshore Estates that I'm aware of. Uh, 
so anyway, Jason lived on the lake. The backyard backed up to the to the lake, and they had a little pier of some sort back there, little dock. And he was back there fishing with uh, Terry and Gail Grinnell, his mother, and whoever else was back there. Not so important. And apparently Terry had done something with the fish and had gotten out a knife and out of the tackle box and was going to do something with the fish, which is pretty much what you do when you go fishing. A knife is probably going to be used at some point for something. And uh, apparently cut his finger. And so his mother gets mad about this. I would say irrationally angry about this grabs that knife and throws it into the lake. Okay, that's knife number one. We never heard this story until just the last few years. Now Baldwin says that what happened then was he was angry about this knife being thrown into the lake and he had another knife, the Rambo type knife, in, the, in its sheath. And he gestured in such a way as to act as if he was going to throw that knife out into the lake as well in a sort of act, uh, sort of uh, chiding his mother, an act of pretend defiance, I suppose. And much to his surprise, he claims the knife flew out of the scabbard and went out into the lake. And that's the, he claims that was the knife that was found by divers in November 1993. Now, it would be remarkable if using the kind of gesture that he's talking about, that a knife would go 100 feet out into the lake You know, maybe, maybe, you know, maybe the references I was seeing was 30 yards. Anyway, the, the knife was not close to the dock. It wasn't, it wasn't, you'd expect that kind of throw to produce a knife that just went out just far enough to be beyond the reach of the, of the, uh, of being easily retrieved. And in fact, the, there's an idea there that, Eccles, I mean, not Eccles, Baldwin had somewhat the intent to go in and get the knife, but he didn't. So that's Baldwin's story now. So we had his mother angrily throwing the knife into the lake. His mother saying, Jason threw the knife angrily into the lake. Eyewitness says, or not eyewitness, somebody showed up a little bit later, says his mother threw it into the lake angrily. Uh, Jason's mother says, uh, a Marion policeman planted the knife in the lake. The Marion police were not involved in the West Memphis uh, murder investigation.
obviously they wanted the crime solved, but they were not involved in the, the, the crime investigation to any large extent. Um, and then we have this story with Jason throwing, one knife being thrown into the lake by the mother with Jason reacting and in, in his, in his reaction accidentally throwing his own knife into the lake. Which sounds like total BS. It's probably the least credible story. The longer we get, the further away we get from the uh, the events, the less credible these stories become. They keep embellishing it and changing it for one thing. If you just had a consistent story, if they'd had a consistent story from the beginning that Jason threw the knife into the lake, or Gail Grinnell threw the knife into the lake, or it was accidentally thrown into the lake, or we don't know whose knife that was. If they'd had any of those stories and they'd given it consistently, we wouldn't have so much to say about it. But the fact that you, they keep making up new stories, and some of these have to be made up because they're, they're not all compatible. You can't reconcile a policeman planting the knife with Jason accidentally throwing the knife into the lake. Those stories don't work together. So, it creates a huge credibility problem for Jason Baldwin. Admittedly, you know, he's on trial for his life. He didn't do any kind of explanation at trial, but if he did try to explain at trial, uh, you know, he didn't have to, to try to explain at trial, but, you know, he, he if they couldn't explain the existence of the knife, and it was no way it could be tied conclusively to the to the crime, to the murders, then uh, they could just just ignore it. I mean, it didn't have to be. It was going to end up being part of the the prosecution. The prosecution is going to show the knife because it looked like the knife was. It was a knife that looked like it could have been compatible. That was, that was deliberately discarded in a way in which you discard a, a weapon if you commit a crime, throw it into some water uh, where it won't be seen, where hopefully it'll rust away, etc., etc. And uh, that would have been, it was very compatible with that kind of action. But there was no way they could prove that knife was the knife that was actually actually uh, the knife that actually committed the crimes. Part of the argument, there's another argument result revolving around this knife and the hilt end, the butt end of the hilt where the screw cap is. If you look on, see the photos uh, on um, Stevie Branch's forehead. See photos of the wound on Stevie Branch's forehead where there's some people claim it's a, 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 tur a turtle bite or a human bite. But if you actually look at it, it's almost perfectly round. Uh, Sean Wheeler, who did a tremendous amount of research on this case long before I ever got involved with it, and pro probably I would say he knows more about it than I do, but. I, I don't I haven't tested him but I would give him credit for knowing at least as much as I do about the case and probably more. Uh, 
uh, he uh, talked to a couple of experts about this, and they both basically said that the, the knife was absolutely compatible with the uh, the circumference and the shape and so forth was absolutely compatible with the end of that knife being used against Stevie Branch's forehead. There's a little cross-like mark in the center of that wound. It looks absolutely artificial. It doesn't look like anything you'd ever see in a bite mark, but it looks absolutely like a mark that would have been left by the cross, the little bump-like uh, thing in the hilt of, of the uh, screw cap, the actual screw cap, uh, would have left a mark very similar, and the exact center would have left a mark very similar to that. Let me add that uh, Deanna Holcomb, Damien's old girlfriend, talked about Damien carrying a knife like that around in his Rambo, uh, uh, Rambo knife around in his black trench coat on a regular basis. So there's that linkage there with, uh, was it Jason's? It's probably Jason's knife, but Eccles was also known to have knives. He got into a, a big fight, really, with his father in, uh, when they were in uh, Oregon over uh, him you know he was using money he was working at a gas station in summer of 1992 and he was using his money among other things to buy knives and uh his father didn't like that i don't know <laughs> maybe he wanted to spend money on i guess he wanted to spend money on something else but he didn't like damien going and buying building up his knife collection so these these two kids these two kids were knife collectors uh, Baldwin had to get rid of some weapons at his home that were under, that were hidden under his bed that his mother claims they don't have knives, but he always had knives. He was always trading things around. And what, he, you know, he had an ice axe and a large, um, a very, very large, you know, knife that looked like it came from the Indian subcontinent. I can't think of the exact name for Bolo knife or something from the, but it was a large knife with with a sort of a uh, boomerang type shape to it that uh, he had under his bed that he had traded back to someone almost immediately after the crimes as if I'm getting rid of the I'm getting rid of any potential evidence uh, I don't know what he was planning on doing with an ice axe but uh, or what he did with an ice axe not to rule out any possibilities but the point being is that Damien, Damien tells lies, Jason tells lies, whatever the deal is with the late knife at this point, uh, the stories have made Jason just look more and more like the pathetic pathological liar that he actually is. And there are some things that Damien and Jason have in common this inability to tell the truth is one of them. Now that's enough for me this week or today. I may do another podcast tomorrow depending on how things go. Uh, thanks for listening. This was podcast. This was episode 39. Uh, I am aware and you should be aware that there are a couple of uh, 
uh, March 28th, the Bob Ruff version of the West Memphis Three is going to be on uh, the Oxygen Channel. And on the following Saturday, I believe, April 5th, uh, ID Network, Identification Discovery Network is going to have uh, some sort of special on the West Memphis Three. I would say the expectations will be low, but I think uh, <coughs> the rough special will be, re my reaction to the rough special will be a combination of, of uh, outrage and laughter at the sheer ridiculousness of whatever he comes up with and his presentation. Um, I don't know what to think about the other one, except it looks like on the basis of how they describe it, I think it's going to be just more of the same old, same old, nothing special at all. And with that, I am signing off. Thank you for listening.